welcome to the Crosstalk Podcast, the podcast that brings together fitness and healthcare professionals to discuss topics that will help you become your best and healthiest version of yourself. I'm your host, Nate Reynolds, a physical therapist that specializes in orthopedics and CrossFit from beautiful upstate New York. Welcome to this week's episode. I am talking with James Zotto. He currently is a physical therapist in North Dakota. He is a orthopedic clinical specialist and a sports clinical specialist. So welcome. Thanks, Nate. Lucky to be on the podcast and looking forward to it. So tell me a little bit more about where you grew up, where you went to undergrad, grad school, and kind of how you ended up in North Dakota. All right. So grew up in Libertyville, Illinois, which is a northern suburb of Chicago. Played all three sports there, football, basketball, baseball. I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to go play football at Wofford College in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So went there for undergrad, got my biology degree, and ended up, I was thinking about going to either med school or PT school. I ended up choosing PT school. And my wife and I both went to um, grad school in Charleston, South Carolina. So I ended up at the Medical University of South Carolina for my doctorate of physical therapy. And going into PT school, I knew that I wanted to work in sports physical therapy physical therapy and work with athletes. So I was lucky enough to get accepted to the University of North Dakota's sports physical therapy residency. And that was a one-year program after school. So all through 2017, the, the summer of 2018, I was there. And after that, I was able to go down to Columbia, South Carolina to work at Apex Performance, which is a hospital-based sports performance center. I was there for about a year and a half and just with family reasons, went back up to North Dakota. Now I'm currently in a outpatient ortho clinic working for a private practice. That sounds like kind of a, a whirlwind, you know, like you, you start up in the Midwest then you end up in the South and you go, I mean, is North Dakota even considered the Midwest or is that like the North North Midwest? So it depends on who you talk to people in North Dakota call it the Midwest Coming from the Chicagoland area, it is no nothing like the Midwest in terms of weather. It is way colder, way windier, a lot more snow. So it's almost like Southern Canada. But no, there's great people up in North Dakota. I really like uh, all the guys that I work with and all my patients. It's just a little bit of a different culture shock. It was a culture shock coming from Chicago to South Carolina. And then it was even a bigger culture shock moving from South Carolina to uh, North Dakota in terms of weather and just how things are done here. Yeah. I mean, that's how I felt when I went from North New York down to South Carolina for that short time. Oh, yeah. And just for the listeners out there, James and I overlapped by what a week or two down in Clemson and yep, we were Clemson, South both, Carolina. yeah, we're both doing a neuro rotation and uh, we both <laughs> ended up leaving South Carolina after, but you know, it's a fun, it was a fun time while we were there. Yeah. It was a very interesting experience, very interesting clinic with interesting people, but I was glad that there was another person there with me experiencing it. I wasn't the only one there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it was great. It was great. Betsy was great. And so the next thing is, you know, you had that interest in sports, you know, what was that choosing that sports residency process like looking at schools, trying to apply to them. Just tell me a little more about that process. Yeah, it was a really intense process going through all the different sports residencies. I think there's almost 50 accredited programs now 
And I, I know I applied to probably more than half of them because I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I applied to a whole bunch of them. Didn't really matter to the location. I looked up the different programs and what they were about, and I based it off that. But I applied to a, a good deal of them. And I was lucky enough to get probably six or seven different interviews, which at this point are the most intense interviews I've ever been on. They were one to two day full interviews, talking about research, talking about your past clinical experiences, talking about your future plans, putting you in different patient scenarios, doing mock clinical interviews and mock clinical exams. So it was super intense and it was pretty intimidating with some of the the hot names in PT, depending on where you were going. So like I said, I was super lucky to get that experience. And it's probably the most intense interview that I'll ever have, unless I go into like a big time pro sports clinic or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds intense because I know like now being three years out, just having someone watch me do a clinical exam, you know, you you still get a little nervous. Yeah. But, you know, you're talking about doing that as a new grad, not really having much exposure to what, or even figuring out like what your treatment style is. Yeah. And like, you're trying to impress these, you know, hot shots in the physical therapy realm. I think I'd be, you know, my knees would be shaking <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely intimidating, but um, it made me a better person, a lot better interviewer, getting comfortable, getting asked uncomfortable questions and trying to come up with things right off the top of your head. You prepare as much as you can, but sometimes I just have you do some um, different stuff that you're not even prepared for. So you obviously got the, the job at North Dakota. What was it like on a day-to-day basis being a sports resident? Yeah, it was an awesome experience. Um, I think my experience was a lot different than a lot of people. And that's one of the reasons why I chose North Dakota. So it was great because you, you were actually employed by the sports medicine departments. So at the University of North Dakota, they have two PTs working full-time in their PT clinic. And their PT clinic is right next to their athletic training room. So there's one big sports medicine building. It's PT athletic training room. There's an old basketball gym that separates the PT clinic and the athletic training room from the football weight room. So you have access to all those different spaces, the gym, the football weight room, And on top of that, you're collaborating with all the athletic training students, uh, athletic trainers, the strength coaches. So you're just around so many sports medicine professionals. And it was such a laid back environment too. So you're in the PT clinic, there's athletes coming in and out, just talking to you, being able to work with them. If they come in from lifting and say, hey, my back hurts, can you take a look at it? It's just so easy to get access to them instead of that formal process of an outpatient clinic where someone has to go through their insurance and they have to get pre-approved for all of it. It's just a a smooth environment that I don't think uh, most places have. So you were saying that you worked pretty closely with the ATCs. What was like one thing or or a few things that you, you noticed about working with ATCs that maybe is like a misperception on our end and like what, what they know and what they're capable of? Yeah. So, I mean, I I helped teach in some of the athletic training program and I spent a lot of time with athletic training students and their program, they go through all the musculoskeletal system. So like our first year PT school was all musculoskeletal, like upper extremity, lower extremity, spine, and they go through the same exact course. So they were doing all the special tests, all the manual muscle testing, just like you do in PT schools. So they know uh, a great deal of stuff. 
And then they also are super good at the acute management. So concussions, acute ankle sprains, um, screening for fractures. So that they are a very, uh, I think, underappreciated medical professional. And then there's a lot of them, a lot of the uh, certified athletic trainers that work for football and hockey, they're all certified strength conditioning coaches. So I think one of the best jobs that you can think of is the University of North Dakota hockey team is number one in the country right now. Their athletic trainer is also their strength coach. So that just makes it so smooth because he can alter workouts for people that are dinged up or injured. And he can just kind of bounce back and forth between those roles. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point that you kind of bring up about that because I think if you think about like what is the ultimate rehab professional, it's someone that can handle the acute care injuries, know how to rehab it, and then know how to get them into that strength and conditioning, into that performance aspect. And so then it's just one continuum. And I feel like in physical therapy, in like the traditional sense, we, we have a tendency to underload a lot of our patients and we, we really struggle going from that rehab setting to that performance, that wellness fitness area. And so that's something I think we need to work on. I think there's a lot of things out there that are helping us get there in con ed, but I think it's not really addressed in physical therapy school all that well, at least that's my opinion from my experience at Stony Brook. Uh, Maybe it was different at MUSC. I I mean, I definitely agree. Our, Therex course was doing like mini band exercises, laying on a Swiss ball or physio ball. Uh, we had a, I don't even know, an election course with that pretty much prepped you for the CSCS. But I think there was only one or two people that actually did the whole thing and took the CSCS based off that course. I definitely think it's becoming more common for PTs to seek out that extra strength conditioning knowledge and even PTs that work out and train themselves, they get a good understanding of what it feels like to be under a heavy barbell and actually um, experience that RP of seven or more. So having a good training program yourself and just being exposed to different types of training is something that PTs need to branch out and get better at. One thing that I think I, I hope we kind of transition away from is TheraBand. Like I hope we actually start using weights and because in the real world, your grandma lifting her purse or laundry, you know, she needs to lift, uh, you know, 15, 20 pounds, you know, the TheraBand isn't training her for that environment. I'm hoping fingers crossed that, that we make that transition. For sure. And so you kind of were talking about the day to day, were there any like cool experiences that you got to do? Um, I know when I was talking to someone that did the sports residency at the university of Rochester, where I live right now, you know, they did like the bills training camp in the summer. Uh, do you have any like cool experiences like that working with specific teams on, on a day-to-day or, or even for a short period uh, time? Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. So they let me kind of tailor it to whatever I wanted to experience. So I played college football and football is kind of my sport. So I started at July 1st. And a couple of weeks after is when football, like summer camp, fall camp started. So all the football guys were on campus and I pretty much worked with them the entire season. I went to every single like morning practice and in the summer, every morning practice before school actually started. And once their school schedule or whether 
practice schedule got switched afternoon, I wasn't able to do that. But I pretty much spent the whole preseason with the football team, working with them, helping the athletic trainers tape in the morning, do all of their rehab or prehab stuff prior to practice, doing their rehab and recovery stuff after practice. So that was really my main team in, in the fall season. Um, they let me travel with the team for one away game. So that was pretty cool experience to be able to see what the guys in the athletic training staff deals with on the road, trying to make a makeshift athletic training room in the a big conference room with tables and Normatex, whatever they have. So I would say that was probably the highlight, just being able to work with the football team. The hockey team is top notch. I mean, I, I tell people their hockey team is pretty much like the Alabama comparable to Alabama football. So they were a little bit more closed off. I went to every single home game, spent time in the, the locker room before and during intermission, but I wasn't able to travel. They were a little bit more closed off. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty sweet that, you know, you got to be, I, I feel like it's great to always be around people that are like the top of their field. And so just watching how those guys probably trained and approach their craft, they're, top five D one hockey. That's, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. And they have, they have their goals. They, a lot of them are already signed. They've top picks by the NHL uh, or in the NHL draft at high school. And now they're just getting better every year in college and just waiting to go to the NHL. Yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy how much different that is compared to uh, other sports it's kind of like in a baseball player you know getting drafted out of high school and then playing three years and then be like okay like i'm going to the red Sox or yankees or you know if you're a cubs fan then the cubs if you're a white oh, yeah. Sox fan no then i was gonna no say if you're a white Sox fan that's unfortunate <laughs> no no white Sox for me all cubs so what unique value do you think doing a residency provided where you wouldn't have gotten that elsewhere from like a clinical standpoint yeah. So that's the reason why I wanted to do a residency is get that direct mentorship. And one thing that was so great about the residency at North Dakota was you are, it's the volume isn't as high as a normal clinic. You don't have that normal schedule, like one person every 30 minutes or every hour, it can be someone coming in from straight from practice. So you're with two PTs all the time. And if I had a question with the patient, I can just say, Hey, can you come over here and watch this? Let's take a look at this together. So it was so easy to get that mentoring in terms of assessment and treatment that it was constant. You have to have so many mentoring hours throughout the residency, but there was so many mentoring hours. We couldn't even track all of them just because there was so much collaboration between me and then the two PTs and then just a different treatment approach. So going to school in South Carolina, there's a lot different treatment aspects down there versus what they're taught up here. And one of the PTs, his name is Jake Thompson. He's one of the best manual therapists I've ever seen. So he recently went through um, a fellowship program, Spinal Manipulation Institute. And he really introduced me to dry needling and got me comfortable with that. Took a course or got certified in both the courses um, and then spinal manipulation. So we would be able to practice on athletic training students. So I would just say, hey, come over here. Let me practice on you. Then I'd be able to incorporate that into my treatment with the athletes. So just getting just easy access with mentoring. And I, there was a lot of things that I didn't even know I didn't know. So just being exposed to a whole different treatment mentalities and progressions and regressions and things like that. I think the most important thing as like a new grad, whether you do a residency or not, is just finding good mentorship. And 
I think one thing you have to be weary of is that you want to be in a comfortable environment where you can ask questions. I think there's a lot of times where you're the new guy. So you want to prove that you have the knowledge and the experience to treat people well. And I think it makes people hesitant to ask questions, but if you can find an older PT that just understands what it was like to be a new grad that kind of empathizes, then I'm always willing to show different techniques or do try something else um, and learn from other people because I know that I don't know everything, especially with hands-on, like the, like you talk about the manual techniques, they really require a lot of practice to actually do them well. Mm-hmm. And to make sure that, especially if it's a manipulation that one, you're doing it safe and two, that, you know, you are getting all your leverage correct. And so that you can, you know, get that quick thrust and, and hit it pretty, pretty well. And so they get that relief. Uh, Cause there's nothing worse than, you know, being like, Oh, this is the, this nip's going to work great. And you get them loaded up and then you do it and you're like nothing. Yeah. That that'll really break your confidence and it's not comfortable for the person you're working on. So no, yeah, that's like, why you practiced on your family and friends before you bring it to the clinic. Yeah. Especially uh, spinal manipulations or like dry oh, needling, yeah. you know, yeah, something that could, sure. something that could tweak someone a little bit. Uh, definitely do it oh, on yeah. friends and family first. So what other opportunities do you think that it provided you after you're done with the residency? So I think it looks really good on a resume going through a sports residency and getting a year's worth of working with athletes, especially as a new grad, like one year out of PT school. So that allowed me to get that job in South Carolina. It was a brand new sports performance center and all of their, their doctors, they work for the university of South Carolina, um, South Carolina state, Newberry college. So some of the smaller schools in that region. So they see high volumes of surgery and they see high volumes of athletes. So like ACL, shoulder reconstructions, hip playroom repairs, all that stuff. So that I, I'm guessing the sports residency allowed me to be a candidate for that job. And one thing that was pretty cool about that job is in the mornings, we'd see our normal caseload, but in the afternoons, myself and another sports PT would work in like, I guess you can call like an ACL like bridge programs. So kids that were anywhere between four and five months out of surgery, they, they graduated from their standard or normal PT, and then they were brought in for performance training. So it was pretty much a strength conditioning program, taking them through all their strength work, plyometrics, jump training, agility, change of direction training. So that was an amazing experience getting my hands on being able to pretty much coach all of these mostly high school, some college kids daily and just seeing the high volumes got my reps in. And I think that was a great experience. Yeah. At my last job, we had like a bridge program. It was like an ATC strength coach that did that, Mm -hmm. but nothing like you're talking about where it was like multiple people. I mean, I think that you kind of hope that's where things are going with PT is that you can help in that strength and conditioning realm. I think your experience definitely lent your skill set to that. Um, what do you think the hardest part? Cause I feel like I haven't seen enough high level athletes to really be as dialed in with like that plyometric strength training post-op. What are some of the things that you think you wish you kind of knew when you're training like an ACL patient at the end of their rehab going into that return to sport? So I think it all goes to the point of looking back and see, okay, where does the athlete need to be? So what is optimal performance for their sport? So starting with the end in mind. So 
breaking it down. Okay, this is a football wide receiver. They need to be able to run this fast. This is where their squat was. This is where their clean was. This is where their vertical jump was. Um, they need to be able to change direction, decelerate, accelerate. So finding all those things, knowing what they have to do for their sport and working backwards from there, I think is one of the things that really helped me during my residency and able to take that um, to when I was working in South Carolina. So understanding what they have to be able to do and breaking it down from there. In terms of all the strength training, plyometric progressions, change of direction, agility, um, seeing it and experiencing it in a college weight room, myself personally, through going through it, um, watching all the strength coaches at the University of North Dakota and working with them, lots of reading. So there's so many good articles on ACL return to sport and different frameworks there. And then just diving into strength conditioning principles, reading the CSCS, I can't remember the name of the book, but National Strength Conditioning Association, Essentials of Strength Training, I think that's what the name of it is. Just diving into strength conditioning research is, is definitely key in terms of performance training and return to play, return to performance training with uh, ACLs in particular. The next course I'm actually taking is actually a strength and conditioning course. I think sometimes we have to look outside the PT realm to learn and, and kind of grow our, our scope of practice because I think we're such, we're so narrowly focused on the rehab aspect that, you know, like we kind of talked about earlier about how we kind of miss those strength and conditioning principles and how to, to apply them into rehab and kind of regress those higher athletes. Oh yeah. And you had a, an Instagram post today that you just produced that you were talking about, what was it called? Uh, it wasn't, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Tindeek. Tindeek. Yeah. Tindeek. Yeah. Tindeek progressor. Yeah. I, I looked up our, our conversation before this and it auto-corrected to Tinder progressor Yeah, and, so. <laughs> and very different conversation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. How do you use something that's meant for climbing to kind of give yourself some objective measures in the rehab setting? Yeah. So I've, I saw this, it was posted by Scott Morrison. Um, if you're not familiar with Scott Morrison, he's, I think he's a chair of the sports section of the APTA. And for anyone listening, if you're interested in sports physiotherapy, definitely join the sports section of the APTA. They've been putting out so many good posts and articles and videos and webinars like this. They do it weekly. That's just great information for sports PT. And it's all free. You just have to sign up for the sports section and pay maybe like 60 bucks a year. So first off, if you're a sports PT and you're not doing that, definitely do that. But there's so much research. I was one of those guys that, oh, a leg extension, that's not functional. Testing quad strength, that's not functional. But as I got more into the research and started listening to all these um, high-level researchers, PTs, ACL specialists, it's all about the quads. So having some type of functional way to measure quad strength is so key. So in my clinic, we don't have access to the isokinetic dynamometer and we don't have a handheld dynamometer. Those run 800 to 1,000 bucks. So I saw this post by Scott Morrison and this Tindeek was made for mountain climbers to test grip strength and endurance. And he was able to set it up with a leg extension. So you're able to set it in line with any type of leg extension or leg curl machine. 
and measure peak force and rate of force development for knee extension and knee flexion. So I've been using that with all my ACLs. Every month I test quad strain, knee flexion strains just to see where we're at, where we need to go and how we can progress their training. And so what weight do you put on like the cable column yeah, to test so that? In that? So in that post, um, you're with the Tindik, you're measuring max volitional isometric contraction. So you need to set it up to something that doesn't move. So I have that leg press machine set up to like whatever it is. I think it's like 200, 250 pounds. So I put 250 pounds on there. So the person that's pressing into the, the cuff, the leg cuff doesn't move it. So they're just sitting there and it's easiest at 90 degrees of knee flexion because it's just easier to measure that way. And they're sitting at 90 degrees knee flexion, just kicking into that thing as hard as they can. And that tendique is in line with their force. So it's just able to measure it on that progressor. And it gives you an app on your phone that can track the peak load and rate of force development. And then, and then you also mentioned that you used it for shoulders. How do you set that up? Yeah. So we have, we don't have anything that's kind of in line with the shoulders in terms of the cable machine. We can't adjust it. So we have some like metal bars that are, bolted into the wall so i just take like a little ankle cuff that i can wrap it around the um the bars on the wall hook a carabiner to the from the ankle weight to the tindik and then just use like a a hand strap and to use that from your arm to the tindik and just measuring internal external rotation at zero degrees and then 9090 and i'll put a post of that eventually when i start talking shoulders but yeah, it's super easy to set up. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing that we're all kind of looking for is financially, you know, as soon as something says medical, it skyrockets the price. And so kind of ways like this that you can use something that may not be necessary, a medical device, but yeah. has everything you're looking for, it can definitely help out your your clinical practice. And I think that's one thing we need is we need to have more objective measures that we can show insurance companies that we're making progress. Cause there's times where the high level athlete, you know, you know, you know, you can do the Y balance, you know, FMS, even though most people are, I think are switching away from that now, but like, you know, you also demonstrated like the hop tests, you know, those are pretty, um, you know, you're, you're kind of limited uh, with how many tests you have uh, that are higher level. So I think this is a great way that you can kind of objectify the full rehab not just the end. Yeah, it's it's way better than a manual muscle test because you're not going to be able to break a high school or um, a higher higher level athlete. So getting numbers to it, athletes like numbers, athletes like goals to be able to achieve. So having those numbers and getting in within those certain percentages is definitely something that will help any active person or athlete that you're working with. And so one of my last questions is, do you think you need to do a sports residency program to get into professional sports? Yeah, so that's a tough one. So I've never worked in professional sports, but I think it there's a couple there's a couple of things that are important there. I think having the athletic training background definitely helps because those are the the main position. So the athletic trainers are the head of sports medicine in these big um, pro sports teams: football, basketball, baseball. So having that athletic training background always helps because you're able to do acute coverage on the field and you're comfortable with all the taping and things like that. Um, so having that, having a sports residency definitely looks good. It shows that you've had that experience in the mentoring. 
um, of being in a high-level sports performance team or setting. But I think the biggest thing is just getting to know people, knowing the right people, knowing the people that are hiring and working for these teams and having them be comfortable bringing you on because you're with them all day, every day, especially during the season. You're traveling with the team. You're with the team 24-7 pretty much. So having that great experience in the sports residency, I think definitely helps. But I think being an athletic trainer and having good connections and having good experiences with uh, the right people, I think is a little bit more important. Do you think that, you know, you, you, we kind of talked about like the sports community and physical mm -hmm. therapy. Did you get connected with other sports residents while you're at North Dakota? Was there kind of, kind of like a collaboration with, with other sports residents at all? So I'm trying to think back. There wasn't really, I know some programs do like a swap. So their residency will go to another residency program for a week or two. We didn't really have that. We were kind of, we're up in North Dakota and there's nothing really close by. So that makes it a little bit harder. <laughs> uh, but um, I did go down to Fargo, which is about 90 miles south of where I am in Grand Forks. So they have a, a really good sports performance center um, in Fargo. They're, it's called the Sanford Power Center. They just built a new facility in California where all these high level NFL guys are training. So there's one in Fargo, there's one in Sioux Falls, there's one in Bismarck. And I would go down there one to two times a month and hang out with those, with those guys. They were all sports PTs, orthopedic certified specialists, sports certified specialists. And they had an ortho or ortho residency going on there. So whenever I would go down there, sometimes um, their residents would be there shadowing or, or working a little bit, but there was nothing formal to where I got connected with other residents. I think there's, there's a lot of stuff on Twitter and Instagram right now where all these sports residencies are getting connected and all these guys are talking on Twitter and things like that. But I wasn't really connected with that a couple of years ago when I was doing it. Yeah, I think they're, it's funny. I, I don't really use Twitter much, but I remember back when I was in PT school, a lot of people were talking about like, yeah, like you got to follow along on Twitter. I'm like, Twitter? Like I, who's still using Twitter? <laughs> There's a lot of good information on Twitter. I don't post anything on Twitter really besides sports stuff. But like Lenny McCrina, Dan Lorenz, Mike Reinald, they're posting a lot of good articles. That's where I get a lot of my article ideas. I just see what they post. And if they're posting it, reading it, I'm definitely reading it. So after this podcast, I'll probably create a, a Twitter. <laughs> yeah, look, get a, get on a sports and orthopedic Twitter. It's, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Yeah, I definitely will. Yeah. So the last segment of this is going to be kind of a, a rapid fire hot take segment. Uh, I'm just going to ask you some quick questions and whatever comes to the top of your mind, you're just going to fire it off and kind of see what your, your answers are. So right. the first question, what's one tip you'd, you'd give to a new grad? Find a mentor, either online with social media, get in a group or find a clinic where there's everyone smarter than you. Don't be the smartest person in the room. So find a mentor, learn from them and, get good fast with that person. Question two, name one course you'd recommend taking. So it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for assessment, I would say the SFMA from functional movement systems. If you're looking for manual therapy, either the Institute of Athletic Regeneration or um, Spinal Manipulation Institute with James Gunning. Or if you're looking for BFR, Owens Recovery. Those are my favorite courses that I've taken and 
Can't go wrong with those. All right. Question three. One person, dead or alive, you'd have dinner with or a beer? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. That last dance, that last dance documentary was amazing. So just brought back memories from uh, living in Chicago as a little kid. Do you think you'd pay for dinner or do you think you'd have to pay for him? Oh, no, he'd pay. He'd pay. You sure? You sure? I feel like he's a little stingy. <laughs> <laughs> he'd probably uh, compete with me somehow. We'd have some type of uh, card game going or something. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like I feel like there'd be a bet, and then somehow he'd beat you. And oh yeah, <laughs> you you you. Like, yeah, a couple hundred dollars uh, for dinner. And then last question: uh, What is your favorite P- PT podcast? Well, I need to start listening to more of yours. So yours is gonna be up there. All in Recovery Science PT Entrepreneur Podcast with Danny Matei, Informed Performance Podcast, Pacing Performance Podcast. And the Just Five Performance Podcast. A lot of strength conditioning in there, but a little bit of business in PT. Yeah, that, I think that's how we kind of got reconnected. Was well, we both took the Institute of Clinical Excellence. We talked oh, yeah. that advanced advanced yeah. course for a fitness athlete, and that's where I was like, "Oh, James Zato." I was like, "I don't know him." And then I think you're also in like the same Danny Matei group with the PT entrepreneurs. They're yeah, just like, that's "Wow, yeah." yeah. <laughs> I was like, "We're we're kind of on the same track here." Yeah, except for the sports residency, you know, it's just kind of funny that overlapped down in South Carolina, but you know, our careers have kind of taken a similar interest. You know, you went up to North Dakota, I went up to New York, but they definitely have some similarities. James, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. It was great learning about sports residencies from you. I think people will definitely appreciate that information. Cause I know when I was considering it, there's just so much information out there. And, and like you said, it's kind of an intimidating process when, when you look at all the schools and, you know, everyone that is coming out as a new grad is considering it. So it's great just talking with someone that's been through it. So thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on and we'll have to do a part two eventually. Thank you for listening to the cross talk podcast. The music was produced by Scott Holmes. I'm your host, Nate Reynolds. You can find more great content on the energy.health Instagram and also on my website, energyhealth.fit. Until next time, continue to prioritize your health.